Hi, I'm Tammy Hicks-Jackson. Welcome to my podcast. I am a Christian pastor in the United Methodist tradition, and this podcast covers a variety of topics. You may find anything from Bible study and devotions to yoga and meditation from a Christian perspective to my thoughts on Christian leadership and the church. Look for the descriptions and the tags for each episode to find what you're interested in. And thanks for taking this journey with me. Let's jump into this episode. Our journey through the book of 2 Corinthians is going to end with the last two chapters, chapters 12 and 13. Let's remember that chapters 10 through 13 are quite possibly the lost severe letter. The tone dramatically changes from the end of chapter 9 to the beginning of chapter 10. It's as though like the final greeting and benediction of that original letter were simply dropped off. That severe letter, which comes to us as chapters 10, 11, 12, and 13, get appended on the end. And then we get some really brief um, greetings and conclusions at the end. So let's start by taking a look at chapter 12. We have come in into the middle of Paul talking about boasting. Remember that boasting happened in their society. You were expected to. You were supposed to prove why you were appropriate for that position or that honor or that place in society. And people boasted and shared what they had done and their accomplishments. To not boast is to not bring the appropriate honor to your family. Yet Paul insists that we are supposed to boast only in Christ. So as we pick up with chapter 12, he's talking about boasting. And he says he's going to boast, but not really. And then he goes on to do so. Um, And so we have it revealed that the person he's talking about in this vision is actually himself. Paul is the one who got caught up to the third heaven and had this wonderful vision of God. Let's talk about the third heaven for a second. The first heaven is the sky that we see, the atmosphere, where the birds are. The second heaven is the realm of the sun, moon, and stars, what we would call outer space. The third heaven is the place created by God where God lives and where the angels praise him. Take a look at 1 Kings 8.27, Nehemiah 9.6, and Psalm 148.4. When Paul says that this would have been 14 years ago, this that would have made it around A.D. 44 through 46. <clears throat> so prior to his first missionary journey, Paul appears to have had a profound experience with God, but didn't feel the need to tell everyone else about it. This is not a usual part of his story that he shares. In fact, this episode that he talks about here is not mentioned anywhere else or even alluded to. The timing would be about 10 years after his conversion. Um, He returns to Antioch, we know, because Barnabas comes and gets him and asks him to help him with a revival that has broken out there. In 2 Corinthians 5a, Paul talks about preferring to be out of his body, preferring to be out of the body and with the Lord. In other words, he's at home. It, It feels fine. Um, to be present with God, which would mean life here um, had come to an end. This vision story says that he's been there. He's been to heaven, um, and, and it felt like home. This may indicate to us that Paul was walking a mystical path, that he was um, 
out of the limelight, happy to be out of the limelight. That was fine. He was just convinced that this was the right path. Um, having been rejected by some of the believers, he's moving on to walk this path with God. But that Barnabas asked him to come and help him, and so he does. And that's what he's continuing to do is what God has called him to do and what Barnabas encouraged him to do. But he'd be fine to go right back to being um, kind of a reclusive hermit following a mystical path. He's doing this because it's what God has called him to do, not necessarily because what he longs and, and wants to do. In verses 6 through 9, Paul talks about having a thorn in the flesh. The phrase was given is a Jewish way of saying that God sent this, that this is within God's purpose for me. Paul has prayed for healing from this thorn and has been told no, um, that it's there for a reason and he's going to have to learn to live with it. We don't know exactly what his thorn is. There's been a lot of speculation. I think it may have been some diminished eyesight, and I'm joined by a lot of scholars who, who feel that way. This would explain why he needs someone to write his letters for him and why he never travels alone. It could be a lingering effect of his dramatic Damascus Road experience. Remember, his conversion experience involves Jesus appearing to him personally on the road to Damascus in a blinding light. So it could have had some, some lasting effects. Others have suggested that Paul might have a speech impediment a seizure disorder, or even um, chronic malaria. This would explain why his appearance is referred to as less impressive in some of these letters. Others have also suggested, a minority of them, but a, a, a couple, have suggested that Paul might have a sexual dysfunction, which is why he is prevented from getting married and, and having children. Um, but, you know, if he, any one of these maladies could be um, something that would make him appear less impressive and his appearance might be called weak due, due to a chronic sickness. All of that, however, is purely speculative. We do not know for sure what this thorn in the flesh is. As we move into verses 11 through 21, Paul resumes his angry, sarcastic tone. Um, his apostolic credentials have been questioned, and he doesn't like it. He does not like it at all. Money and support of ministers are clearly the sore points here. Um, the onus, as far as Paul is concerned, is on the Corinthians to prove that they belong to Christ by the way they behave on this matter. He urges them not to listen to those who have unrepented sin, to listen to those who love them, who don't take advantage of them, and who follow Christ self-sacrificially. That, of course, would be Paul and his compatriots. Moving into the final chapter, chapter 13, into verses 1 through 4, we start out with a quote from Deuteronomy 19.15. Um, this third trip that Paul is going to make will be their third witness to Paul of their character in Christ. Uh, if the attitude they currently have persists, if they continue to tolerate these false teachers and to believe their accusations against Paul and his um, co-workers, then he's going to be ready to pronounce judgment when he comes. Like, it's going to be a difficult, difficult visit. Um, he's tried to be patient, but his patience have just about run out. In verses 5 through 10, they need to conduct a self-appraisal, Paul tells them. They need to do it individually, 
and they need to do it as a faith community. He hopes and he prays that they will not fail to keep their faith. Like, stay the course, stay with the true faith, keep going. It would mean that Paul and his companions have failed if they turn back from the faith, and that would absolutely break his heart. In verse 9, it talks about weakness, about being weak, um, not having to exert strong authoritative leadership because they do so themselves. That's what he would prefer, is govern yourselves so that you don't have to be governed from the outside. Let the Holy Spirit work within you to keep you on this path, and then other people don't have to do it for you. That's part of maturity, is you don't need all those rules and boundaries. You can just listen to the Holy Spirit. He'd rather have Holy Spirit conviction fall on them once they get this letter so that when he gets there, there won't have to be negative memories from them hashing this out and having a fight. They could probably recover from that difficulty, but he'd rather them not have to go through it at all. In verses 11 through 13, he gives his final greetings and benediction. They are very brief for those that usually accompany this letter It may be because the tone of the letter is really harsh, like it feels inappropriate to then go, send so-and-so my love and tell them hi, and after he's just really been hard. As a matter of fact, he doesn't name any people here. Now, it could be, if this is the severe letter that has been lost to us and appended um, at the end of the other one, that some of those greetings were dropped off as well because of the nature of, of the letter. There is, in my translation, the word farewell. Um, Some other translations um, use the word rejoice here. Rejoice seems to be the more favored word in translations. Like when I checked out several of them, more of them tend to use rejoice. But farewell seems more appropriate to the tone of, of the letter at this point. Then he gives them a series of rapid-fire summary instructions. Put things in order. In other words, fix this. Like, stop playing around and fix it. It's beyond time. Um, He urges them to listen to my appeal. Um, Encourage one another, some of the translations say, to keep the faith, to reject the false teachers. Um, He urges them to find unity and then keep it. To live peacefully. When he says peacefully, he's saying, let the shalom of God guide and preserve you. Let all be the way it is supposed to be. And let your pursuit of that be what motivates you and leads you. And to never forget that God is with them and that God is a God of love and peace. So if God is a God of love and peace, then live like that. Live like the God you follow. The holy kiss has become a Christian greeting of kissing one another on one or both cheeks. Um, And other churches and other believers send their love and their prayers. They're wishing you well here. But it's still really brief for what he usually does. And then in verse 13, we get a Trinitarian conclusion to the book. This is a very common um, benediction in many churches and one that I find myself using quite often. When he talks about the communion or fellowship of the Holy Spirit, Um, He's basically saying, may you share in the Holy Spirit. Um, May the Holy Spirit truly live in you and amongst you. And may it be evident in your behavior to everyone 
um, that it is the Holy Spirit that is guiding you. And with that, what we have is the second letter to the church at Corinth, which may be two letters, one letter, chapter one through nine, that actually came after the severe letter, and then the severe letter appended in chapters 10 through 13. I think it's odd that they would end with the severe letter tacked on to the end of a hopeful one. Um, but that is the way the scriptures have come to us, and that concludes Second Corinthians.